CBDC, the Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs, is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Startup Women podcast. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. month of June, the Startup Women podcast will be taking a deep dive into LGBT plus entrepreneurship across Canada. What barriers exist for this community when starting a business? Who are some of the change makers in the LGBT plus entrepreneurship space? And what specific support does this community need? To facilitate these important discussions, we couldn't be more excited to welcome Paige Harlock, Manager of Youth Entrepreneur and Partnerships at the Canadian Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce as our guest host. Welcome, Paige. Thank you, Kayla. I'm so excited that myself and the CGLCC have the opportunity to share the important stories of LGBT plus founders and provide resources for LGBT plus entrepreneurs across the country. This month on the Startup Women podcast, we'll connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations in Canada's LGBT plus startup space, giving you a firsthand look into the LGBT plus entrepreneurship landscape and helping LGBT plus founders make their vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization, and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I am your host, Paige Harlock, Manager of Youth Entrepreneur and Partnerships of the Canadian LGBT plus Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Arlen Hamilton on our show today. Arlen Hamilton is the founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital, a venture capital firm dedicated to minimizing funding disparities in tech by investing in high potential founders who are people of color, women, and or part of the LGBTQ plus community. Started from scratch in 2015, Backstage has now raised more than 15 million and invested in almost 200 startup companies led by underestimated founders. In 2018, they launched a four-city accelerator program in Los Angeles, Detroit, Philadelphia, and London. Arlen has been featured on the cover of Fast Company magazine as the first Black woman non-celebrity to do so, and is the author of It's About Damn Time and host of the weekly podcast Your First Million. Arlen and her mother, Mrs. Erlaine Butler Sims, announced their scholarship program, which kicked off with scholarships for Black students at Oxford University and HBCU Dillard University. All right, so welcome to the show, Arlen. It's lovely to to have you here. How are you? Uh, thanks for having me. I am good. Yeah, I had to think <laughs> about it. I'm good. <laughs> good to hear. I know it's sometimes a hard question to answer when we're still staying at home so often and not being able to do all the things we want to do all the time. <laughs> well, it's lovely to have you here. And I really just want to dive right in because I know we don't have a ton of time together. So I really would love you to kind of just Take us on your journey from working in the music space to experiencing homelessness and now to owning and operating your own venture capital fund for underrepresented voices. Can you just kind of take me through that and what it's been like? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 so much that I had to write a book about it. <laughs> about damn time. Um, but 
yeah, I'm, I'm 40 now. I've been working on backstage for now a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that trips me out a lot, but, um, you know, the first, the first deck or the 20, 20 to 30, I was working mainly, uh, in music and music and live music. Mm-hmm. So a production assistant and then a production coordinator and then a tour manager. And then also, uh, the other half of that, I would say is, was in running my own music magazine and um, having that go haywire after a while, although it was a beautiful experience, it went haywire after a while. And all of that, getting myself gigs and, and, and being my own CEO of, of my destiny, I guess, uh, it really mm-hmm. helped me uh, relate to founders. And, and, and I feel like a founder myself mm-hmm. and definitely took me into my early 30s of looking at tech startups as the new frontier. And that could be something that I either start a company or, um, or work for a major company. And as I started looking into that, that's when I realized that, that there were these crazy numbers, these stats that 90% of venture funding and angel funding was going to white men in the United States. And uh, I don't even know what the stat is in Canada, but I would dare say it's probably close. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that just stopped me in my tracks. And I said, wait a second, I, I, I can't, I can't focus on starting a company if I know that this is going on out there. And so I just t- decided to turn the company into to the fund. And so the fund is Backstage Capital, and we invest in underestimated founders. We yeah. invest in women and, and, and people of color and LGBTQ. And now we've invested in nearly 200 companies. Oh, wow. 200 companies. Nearly, yeah. Wow. And it's stated on the Backstage Capital website that only 10% of all venture capital deals go to women, people of color, and the LGBTQ plus founders. Uh, Can you speak to the myth of the pipeline problem and maybe explain what that is um, and how Backstage Capital is kind of working to change it? Yeah, for for many years, and especially in that 2013 to 2017, 18 period, at least in Silicon Valley and beyond the whole, there was a myth that was that the reason people of those stripes were not getting invested in wasn't because there was any sort of bias or bigotry. It was because they didn't exist, that there weren't those types of founders to invest in. And And some people still believe that there is a pipeline problem that we don't have enough of the source, you know, to go and you talk about deal flow and all of this is very kind of in the same lane. But what we do at Backstage is not only have we invested in nearly 200 companies, I think the even more exciting and thrilling stat from that is that we only invest in about 2% of what we see. So we've seen 10,000 over the past five, six years, which means that the pipeline problem is a myth that has been busted, even if you look at Backstage's portfolio alone. And there are, in addition to us, there are so many other funds and people now doing this work. Um, so that although some people still believe that or say that, it is absolutely not true. And I knew that going into it, which is why I started backstage. Right. And why do you think people still believe that? Is there is there a reason that people still believe in this pipeline problem? I think there are multiple reasons that any individual would believe this or say it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's uh Ignorance. Sometimes it's, you know, a, a person because they haven't had the experience. And let's say it's a white man. Mm-hmm. 
and he, he is investing and, and, and his experience was I, I got into this school on my own merit. You know, I, I, I graduated from this school. I got a gig at a VC firm or at a company like a Facebook or a Twitter or uh, Instagram or Google Mm-hmm. And I worked there for a few years. And then I started making investments out of a fund that was already in existence. And I haven't seen a lot of deals come to me that have, you know, women as the head or at least successful deals. I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. And I, I call that ignorance, but it's also a blissful ignorance. It's a definitely, definitely not looking around. And that they're, they're, they're happy to be blissfully ignorant. And that happens a lot. Then there are something, some that are just more malicious and it's more like, I know they exist, but I don't want to have to share and I don't want to have to get out of my comfort zone. I don't want to have to get on a plane. I want to be with my feet on the desk. I want these other white men to, who are younger than me to walk into this office and to beg me for money and I have all the power, but I'm not going to do that, play that game elsewhere. So there's a lot of that going on. Mm-hmm. And then there's like real true ignorance when it comes to that, where it's like, once they find out, they're like, oh, I didn't know this was a problem. Let's do something about that. That's crazy. That's what a lot of, a lot of people have talked to me about. Like a lot of white men write to me and they're like, I just read your book and that's crazy. I can't believe that. What can we do? Right. And then there are some people who um, are not in this industry who just sort of, it's the same reason you don't see a lot of uh, black quarterbacks, not a ton of black pilots. Mm-hmm. There's a systemic issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's just con- continues to because you, you kind of think, oh, well, certain people are just not um, as capable as the next. And that's that's a big issue. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's something that can't be figured out in a day. But all of those things, when you mix up the nuances and you kind of think about where people are coming from, which I do every day, um, all of it can be addressed. And I just try to spend my energy the most I can on the ones kind of in that middle group who are either if you just tell them they'll change or they're a little bit stubborn and a little bit lazy but if you give them enough incentive they change and it's mm-hmm. better the bigger you know the greater good yeah that's where i spend most of my energy Got it. And for folks who understand it's an issue, but they just haven't done kind of any of the research, what could they do? What are some small steps that they could take to kind of ensure that they're making a step in the right direction? It just depends on who that folk is, you know, like (laughs) if you are a founder or you are a person who's working at nine to five and and you identify as an underrepresented person or underrepresented in in the country, in your country or in your industry, mm-hmm. um, you know, I would say just research as much as you can so that you're smarter than the next guy or the next gal. That's always, you know, going to be where I come from with that. It's like information is so, so powerful and, and right. that's a cliche for a reason. But if you're like listening to this and you're not already an ally, mm-hmm. which you want to be that, you know, this is where all of that that great college uh, discipline came in between the party. You can research starting today. You can Google it. <laughs> you can Google it. You can go to our, you can go to backstagecapital.com and just look at some of the portfolio companies. Like we're not talking about what you may think we're talking about. Actually, I'm not even going to say, put it, put the words in your mouth. You may think we're talking about something else. And then you get there and you're like, wow, this is like infrastructure. This is satellite systems. This is deep tech. This is enterprise SaaS. This is a groundbreaking beauty consumer-based stuff. Like really, really take a look with an open mind. And there's so much there now. There's just no excuse anymore. There's so much there's backstage. And then they're like, 
all these other funds and all these organizations and all these companies. And we've already started not sitting around waiting for people to get it. Like I, I'm not sitting around waiting for anybody to get it. I'm over here stacking and planning for, for the yacht. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not like, oh, well, I hope they get it. No, you need to get it or you don't. You know, yeah, you need to get on board right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm really happy to talk to you about it. You know, this, this, this fake person that we have that we're, you know, this profile, I'm really happy to talk to them about it. And I hope they get it for their sake. And I think more founders uh, would benefit from them being part of this. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, well, I'm not going to beg you to get richer for too long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just want to pivot a little bit to um, your documentary. I know in there it says, I think investors should, and I don't want to get this quote wrong, so I'm going to read it. I think investors should look for founders with a chip on their shoulder. Women and LGBT plus entrepreneurs have so much to prove. So speaking to all traditional funders listening, why should they change their thinking around underrepresented entrepreneurs? And why consider the founder story in investment decisions? Well, they're traditional, um, but you've seen recently with big companies, big industries, they're being disrupted. Just mm -hmm. because you've been this way, you've been the top dog for a while or since you were, since you started, doesn't mean that's always the case. Mm -hmm. So you're either midway through your journey and you want to make sure there's another, there's a, there's a bridge to something. And so you got to get with the times or you're at the, towards the end of your journey and you have to think about your succession plan. You have to think about what you want to leave your own family and what you want your own legacy to look like. And a lot of that will have to do with being part of, not being a dinosaur. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. And when you talk about chips on your shoulders and, and underrepresented founders, every single day, our existence is challenged. Every single day to walk down the street is something. If you're a, if you're a, a, a woman or if you're a person in the LGBTQ community or mm -hmm. if you're a person of color, like any, any, like fix this to yourself in any way. Um, if you're a guy and you're white and you are, are affluent and you don't have a ton that you can look at, some people have been poor before. You know what that feels like. Some people uh, are shorter. What if you're shorter than the next guy? the next strapping tall guy, <laughs> you feel underestimated, right? You can be the richest dude. You can be the smartest dude. You can be the, the nicest dude. But if you're standing next to someone who you feel intimidated by, or who you feel other people are giving a, or fixing a higher quality or higher value, value to, you feel underestimated and you got a big chip on your shoulder and you have something to prove. And you're damn well going to go out there and try to out hustle that person. You're going to try to win right? That's yeah. how we feel. That's how underrepresented people feel. For sure. <laughs> so it's, it, you, you want to hit your ride to like the, the winning wagon, right? Like you want to, you know, you want to hit, you want to give yourself as many shots as possible to win. Mm -hmm. And I say you do that as an investor by hitching your ride to different types of people. Doesn't mean mm -hmm. all your investments have to be in black women. Mm -hmm. It just means that they shouldn't all be in white men. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> and you're the first Black queer woman to start her own venture capital firm in a country where Black people have been historically and systemically marginalized. Can you speak to this at all? And are we as a society doing enough to break yeah. the systemic barrier? And I'll say that was something that was said about me. And I don't know if it's true. And I just want to make sure that people know that I'm not trying to claim that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably true. 
Um, I know Monique Woodard uh, started her own fund um, slightly after I did, and mm-hmm. she's a queer black woman. And there are others for sure, but I just don't know. So anyway, um, I just want to make sure because I just, you know, it's important to me. Yeah. Um, so just being a queer woman in venture, is, is that the... Yeah, in the venture, starting your own venture capital firm, how has it been to kind of start this up? And are we as a society doing enough to kind of break systemic barriers for folks in the community? Oh, we're not doing enough. No, 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 no. <laughs> no it's not enough. I, 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 I'm an optimistic person. I couldn't do this without being optimistic. And I'm usually, I give people the benefit of the doubt to start mm-hmm. with. You have to go from 100 to zero to me and so the other way around. But we're not doing enough. There's just no way we can we can pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, this, we're, we're good here. That's not the case. I still hear the questions. I mean, still hear the stories. There's a guy who comes to mind. He's a black man, brilliant dude who started a company, has several employees making, you know, several million a year mm-hmm. uh, and on a path to doing more. And uh, an investor uh, agreed, this is pre-COVID, but he, a white man investor agreed to invest in his company at a time when he needed the capital. He did it over the phone. And because what he's working on didn't kind of have any sort of specific, you wouldn't think who's r- running it. Yeah. He goes to meet the guy at a restaurant and he walks in and the guy looks at him and just says, oh, um, yeah, I'm not going to be able to invest in you. And it was de- humiliating. It was uh, dehumanizing. And it really messed up his bottom line, messed with his money at the same time. And that can, that can still happen today. I wouldn't be surprised if it did, to be honest. Well, that's what I'm saying. It did. So if yeah. that what happened today, yeah. which this is a recent story. Oh, it's a recent story. Yeah. yeah. Then we, I'm still hearing these stories, right? So mm-hmm. we are not getting, we are not where we need to be. We could argue, and I do sometimes argue that we're getting better mm-hmm. and there's incremental change, but we're nowhere near where we need to be. And that's not all on people listening who are uh, allies, so-called, right? A lot of it is on the founders that I work with, the 200 or so companies that I work with, so many of them are just taking, blazing their own path. They have tried with the VC space. They've tried with this sort of uh, insular group mm-hmm. that they haven't gotten very far. And so they're either saying, I'm going to bootstrap and own more of my company than ever before, mm-hmm. or I'm going to go to the crowd. I'm going to go to the crowd of angel investors who are able to put in $200 a piece in some cases now. So that's a whole other story. But, you know, we're not sitting around waiting. And you mentioned the crowd. You launched Backstage Crowd in 2020, correct? Yes. Well, actually, no, no. Backstage Crowd. Yes. Sorry. (laughs) We had our own syndicate in 2021. And then we did BackstageCrowd.com in 2020. Awesome. Has that um, initiative been successful? How has that been going? Yeah. At BackstageCrowd.com, both accredited and unaccredited investors can sign up. And then Mm -hmm. if you're unaccredited by the U.S. standards, we'll send you deals that are on these platforms if that are crowd deals, if you're accredited, you can ha- you can participate in private deals that we do. On the private side, we've raised more than $2 million since August of last year mm-hmm. uh, and across about 15 or so deals. And wow. before a crowd, we were make, writing checks from 25K to 100K. And after crowd, we were writing checks between 50K and 500K. So that that really was a major change and, and, and milestone for us at Backstage. Mm-hmm. And it's still going. We're still taking on, we have 3,000 members, 40% are accredited, 60% are unaccredited. You can join, we get about 100 people who join every week. Wow, that's 
Amazing. It seems to be going very well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's awesome. And we're actually going to be uh, expanding it and, and, and making it even uh, more kind of streamlined process. We're in the middle of that right now. Awesome. Well, congratulations on doing that in 2020 of all years. <laughs> yeah, why we did it. It's why we did it. It's, it's amazing. Well, I know we don't have too much time left, but I did want to ask you one more question. What advice would you give your younger self and LGBTQ plus founders that are listening today? Oh, well, I'll give you the same advice I give most people. But, you know, this is uh, as a as a uh, lesbian, I'm 40. So I say lesbian before I say queer, but it's, it's what it is. Um, I would just say, you know, from that lens, I kind of spoke up at 16 and I wasn't, I was afraid to at 16, but ever since I spoke up and ever since I've been speaking on, uh, for the voiceless, uh, cause I, before I had the fund, I had your, your daily lesbian moment and I had interlude magazine, which was for women who like women. Yeah. And, and this was in my twenties. Right. And, um, I just say, you know, none of it has been super easy. But the part that has been easy has been saying, no matter what I go through, I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that you have to be out to everyone because that's your own journey completely. Mm-hmm. But it does mean that you can be proud of yourself and, and really stay true to yourself at the end of the day. And I'm able to go from sleeping on the floor of an airport and being on food stamps and being hungry mm-hmm. uh, six years ago to being the wealthiest person in my family to donating half a million dollars in scholarships, investing in 200 companies. And in that t- amount of time, and never once that I have to give up on my ideals. Never once that I ha- I've been I've been offered the chance to get more money by hiding the fact that I'm gay. Honestly, like I've had people come to me and say, our country would like to invest in you, but we can't invest in you through that fund, that vehicle, if you say, if you invest in other gay people and say that you're gay. And I've said no to it and I'm, I'm fine. Right. Yeah. So it may take longer to get where you want to go by staying yourself. But once you're there, you're very proud of yourself and happy that you did. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, as a queer woman myself, I understand bits and pieces of that, right? You just, you don't know the barriers until they hit you straight in the face and you have to make a decision, right? Is this going to be the right decision for me? And is it going to make me feel good? So I am looking forward to to reading your book. And I'm so thankful that you were able to hop on a call with me today. It was so lovely to speak with you. Thank you so much and happy Pride Month. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Women podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. To plug into the Startup Canada network, visit www.startupcan.ca. And to learn more about LGBTQ plus entrepreneurship across Canada, visit www.cglcc.ca. Until next time, I'm Paige Harla. It's time to choose to challenge the status quo and unleash the full potential of women.